Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties who perceive a lower quality of life do not feel like themselves and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we'll be providing evidence-based fundamental and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness as all these aspects are important to enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today, we'll be talking with Jean Marino, a nurse practitioner in the Department of OBGYN and the Division of Female Sexual Medicine at the University Hospitals in Cleveland. She has a focus in her practice on female sexual health, menopause, gynecology, and vulvar disorders. Today, we'll be talking about a book that she helped co-author, Sex in Your 60s, Who Says the Fun Has to Stop? Please look in the show notes for a digital copy of this book. Enjoy this podcast. Well, today we have Jean Marino, who is a nurse practitioner in the Department of OBGYN at University Hospitals in Cleveland, and is also a member of the Division of Female Sexual Medicine. And I'm thrilled to have her today because of her expertise. Welcome, Jean. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes. And we are very excited because we're going to talk about a book that you were a co-author of, Sex in Your 60s, Who Says the Fun Has to Stop? (laughs) And, um, you know, we've talked about some of these issues in previous episodes of this podcast, but never in the context of this demographic, which I'm very excited about you sharing, because I think a lot of, especially our younger People listening uh, are aghast thinking that people in their 60s and beyond still have sex. But we know that that actually happens. And so uh, we're excited to have you talk about these specific scenarios. Before we get into that, I, I really want if wondered if you would just give us an idea of the epidemiology of, of people that are still interested in sex after 60. So I completely agree with you. I think people would be surprised to know, but there are lots and lots of people still sexually active, 60s and older. I love it. Maybe about two weeks ago or so, I got a phone call from a woman in her 80s saying, Jean, I was at the store. I was looking at lubricants. I wanted to know if you like the one I picked out. And so it's fantastic. So I am all for anyone being sexually active at any age whenever they want to be. Is, is there uh, big numbers of, of people or, you know, is it just a, a few people? Could you say how many um, people are still interested? You know? oh, I Well, I would say the majority of my patients, at least I can speak to that, are interested. I know that there is an increased risk for female sexual dysfunction in that age group, about 45 to 64, and then it does go down. But I meet a lot of women that are still sexually active or they're only no longer active because they're having some problems and they didn't even realize that there was treatment options. So I do feel pretty strongly that if women were encouraged to remain sexually active, if they wanted to be and they got treatment, I think that number would be relatively high. 
That's awesome. I I wanted to go through some of the scenarios that your, your book talks about and, and let you talk about how you all lead people through these scenarios. Uh, Marcy's a 62-year-old and, and lost her high school honey just a couple of years ago uh, to cancer. And she recently met Mark, who's a, also widowed. And after dating for a while, they decided they wanted to go to the next level and, and have sexual relationships. And she's afraid. She has mm-hmm. a lot of, of concerns and she's afraid that it'll hurt. And she's coming to see you for counseling and, and what to do. What do you do in that situation? So I will say this is probably the woman I meet several times every single day in the office. So very common. There is a syndrome called the genital urinary syndrome of menopause. We shorten it to GSM. But what it is, it's a collection of several symptoms all related to that significant drop off of estrogen in menopause. And when we're talking about this syndrome, we're really focusing on the changes in the urethra, the bladder, the vulva, and the vagina. There can be lots of dryness, itching, and irritation. The tissue isn't as as elastic. It's not as resilient. It's difficult to withstand friction. There can also be a little bit more frequency and urgency with urination. There can be troubles with lubrication, arousal, trouble reaching orgasm, or if you can reach orgasm, it just doesn't feel quite the same. Women say it's just kind of muted. And all of this starts to contribute to low desire because there's a, I always tell women, you're just smart and you want to have sex because it, it, it hurts or you're afraid it's going to hurt or you're not getting much out of it. So this syndrome affects at a minimum 50%, if not upwards of 80% of all menopausal women in absolute dismal 7% are adequately treated. That was our last not my personal research, but the last research I've seen. So really underreported, underrecognized. So talking about GSM every single day in the office is what I do. I love to do because it is so easy to treat. There is safe and effective treatments. You can try over-the-counter options first. They just really kind of mask the symptoms. And in full disclosure, one of my most favorite things in this world is vaginal estrogen. It works beautifully for this. Yeah, I agree. I just uh, love it. And I'm glad you brought the estrogen up because, as you know, there's this list put out by this Dr. Beer and and about medicines when you're 65 and older that you shouldn't be on. And there's these warnings that people get if they get this estrogen, that this could be bad for their health. Do you would try and address that preemptively? Or what, what if people call you and say, oh my God? <laughs> yeah, so definitely preemptively if I can, but sometimes we're just talking about so much it can get forgotten. But what I always like to tell women is that that vaginal estrogen is completely different than systemic estrogen or estrogen that gets to the entire body. We're talking about vaginal estrogen in very small amounts. That's really just going to help the vagina, the vulva, the urethra, the bladder. Very little gets to the rest of the body. And when they've done studies, women's estrogen levels are no higher than they're supposed to be in menopause when they're on vaginal estrogen. So there's no increased risk of cancer, blood clots, dementia, stroke, none of that. They put those warning labels on the vaginal estrogen. It's the same one that they put on the systemic And 
actually there was a group of providers that petitioned the FDA to have it removed and essentially the FDA declined that. And it has done a gigantic disservice to women. It scares women, it scares providers, it scares pharmacists. So I like to go over all these things, but then I also always have the woman come back and see me in about 12 weeks. I want to make sure that she is doing well. And we're talking about how this is the new lifelong vaginal routine, but also want to make sure that she remembers that this is really safe, really effective. She's not going to get cancer from it. And she can be on this and probably should be on it forever. Yeah, so true. You, you, you stop it, it goes away. Jill is another patient and she's 65 and comes with complaints of pain with sex. And she's had a, a long history of uh, a very active sex life with her husband. And um, she's been through the menopause some a while ago, 10 years plus ago. And and it just progressively got worse uh, that she started having more and more pain, especially with penetrative sex. And she comes and just really upset about this. And uh, she says, what's going on? What can I do? Right. And so this is, again, just your perfect example of someone with this genital urinary syndrome of menopause. So she, I would assume, is probably a wonderful candidate to talk about vaginal estrogen. But then this is where working in this multidisciplinary group that I work with is so beneficial because Sometimes there can be other things that's causing the pain besides the loss of estrogen. Sometimes people have something called vulvodynia where they have extra nerves around that vaginal opening or someone might have a vulvar skin condition that's adding to that. And even if myself or one of my colleagues, we address those, sometimes there's also involvement in the pelvic floor. So that's that, those muscles that form kind of a basin within the pelvis. And if someone has a lot of pain with penetration, those muscles tend to be really tightly contracted. They're just trying to protect you from that penetration and the pain. And sometimes even when I might address the atrophy or that low estrogen, those muscles are still really tight. And so referring someone to pelvic floor therapy is amazing. There can also be what is called anticipatory anxiety. So someone's had pain for a long time. And again, even if I get that tissue healthier, even if the pelvic floor therapist gets those muscles better, sometimes it's hard to work past that because past that, your body remembers. And so working with a sex therapist, one of the psychologists, they are wonderful. They're also really great with reconnecting a patient. So like for this woman, Perhaps there's some strain with the relationship with her husband. Perhaps the husband's now really nervous to have penetration with her because he remembers the pain. And so sometimes couples need some help with therapy and counseling and whatnot to work past that. And so that is why I just am so happy and love my job to be in a group with all these other amazing colleagues to help these women. Two two questions I I wanted to ask about the uh, vaginal estrogen. Is there a reason you can't use it, a contraindication? The only one would be if someone has vaginal bleeding and we don't know where it's coming from, that should be addressed first. Otherwise, pretty much everybody can be on it. The only other problems I ever see, every once in a while, someone has a reaction to the estradiol cream or the estrogen cream, we would call that a contact dermatitis, which is just a fancy way of saying a reaction to most likely one of the preservatives. But 
the nice thing is that there's vaginal pills, there's vaginal rings, there's vaginal, vaginal suppositories. So there's always other options, but I think I would have a very difficult time finding someone who couldn't use vaginal estrogen. Even in the, the breast cancer survivor. Right. So the recommendation is that if someone's had a personal history of breast cancer, we can try over the counter options first. And then we work with the oncology team to make sure everyone's on board. And honestly, at University Hospital, I've never had someone from the oncology team not recommend vaginal estrogen. We're all really on the same page. And then what about, you know, a young doctors who finishing up going to go to a small town, say a small town in Ohio, and mm-hmm. they don't have a, a division of female sexual health or medicine. And they're saying, you know, what, what can I do? I mean, you've got such wonderful people you're working around. What can I do? So if you were working with someone with all that pain, so there's always, I mean, now we've all gotten so good with telemedicine and Zoom and whatnot. So working with a therapist via Zoom is always a good idea. And there's lots of people available, just a internet click away. The pelvic floor therapy is a little bit trickier um, to find someone. And I know in some of the smaller towns, I guess I'm just really spoiled here in Cleveland, but there are other options. One option that might work really nicely is to do dilators. So dilators are these cones. They start off really small and you work your way up. And that can be really helpful if someone hasn't had penetration for a while and that vaginal canal is a little bit more narrow or shortened. And it can kind of help stretch those tissues a little bit once you make the tissues nice and healthy with estrogen. But that's something a woman can do all on her own. I actually like dilators even more for the mind-body connection. So that woman who's had pain for a long time, and now she's got that fear around penetration, I love recommending that she use those dilators. She can start off five, 10 minutes all by herself at home, practice some deep breathing, mindfulness, reminding yourself this no longer hurts. I'm okay. I'm in control. And I think that is a wonderful tool that anybody could use anywhere. Okay. That's, that's awesome advice. There's a a Louise and she's in her Mm -hmm. sixties and she comes to the office because of age-related issues, she called it. And Mm -hmm. uh, she's very concerned about losing her desire because of all of the the changes, the anatomical change and so on that she's experiencing. And she's she's just not getting aroused. You you alluded to that a little while ago, but but mm-hmm. how would you sit down with this woman and counsel and help her? So with arousal, if it's strictly some biological, estrogen is really important for that blood flow. So if she's got that genital urinary syndrome of menopause, there's a good chance that's affecting the arousal too. So getting her on a really nice vaginal estrogen is fantastic. If we're talking about more loss of desire, then we could start talking about medications that might help with that. And there are some medications that help with desire, but then also those physical symptoms too. I will just also add in that as women age, the nerves in that clitoral glands kind of change. And so vibrators become really important. I mean, I I think they're important at any age, but there is data suggesting that in older menopausal women, vibrator use is a really wonderful tool. 
And if anyone's ever worried that my partner is going to be offended by this or whatnot, I heard a presentation and the speaker was saying that partners don't have to be everything for you. They don't have to do everything. And I thought that was such a nice way to explain it so that it takes some of the pressure off of the other partner too when you add in a sexual device do you go over uh talk about the sexual response much something that you know people don't know especially in relationship to the idea of desire and arousal because a lot of people have that old idea of you know you get the desire then you get the arousal then you then you come to climax, you know, like mm-hmm. the old Masters and Johnson thing. Right. Um, how do you how do you explain that? So I would say that that is normal for some people. That's what we call more that spontaneous desire. So they are thinking about it throughout the day. They see someone at Target, whatnot, and it sparks this desire and they want to act on it. And then they follow the steps through arousal, orgasm, whatnot. But there can also be what we call responsive desire. And it happens in both men and women, but a little bit more common in women where perhaps you enter into a sexual relation for whatever reason. You want to feel intimacy or or whatnot with your partner, and you're not really feeling a whole lot of desire or strong libido for it, but you want to engage. And then once you kind of get going and then the blood flows up and arousals up and lubrication starts to increase, then there's this kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot I like this. This was worth it. And then the desire will follow then to orgasm. So for some people, it goes arousal desire. And that's totally, totally normal. It's not what you always hear about or see in the movies and whatnot, but a total variation of normal. And it's not all just women. Some men have that too. So it's not all like Hollywood? Right. Right. Right? (laughs) Yes, we should talk about orgasms in Hollywood movies too. (laughs) We're uh, talking about uh, toys or devices like vibrators. There's got to be so many people in in that um, space. And where are some of your favorite places to go to, to tell patients to go to get some of these things at a reasonable price? So probably my favorite is Amazon. So it's completely confidential. Nobody's going to know what's sitting on your doorstep waiting for you when you get home. There's so many different varieties that you can circle through and whatnot. So I think Amazon is perfect for picking out vibrators. Great. Thank you. Now we've got Terry, she's 60 something and, and she's been married for 35 years and has really enjoyed a great sex life. But recently, because of anxiety, uh, being in that sandwich generation, she was put on an SSRI, an an antidepressant, and she comes in and says hello and immediately says, is there a female Viagra? Right. How do you help her? (laughs) So there is a female Viagra, if you will. It's called Vilesi is the brand name. I would first, I'll take a step back though. So desire in women is just so complicated because women, we just bring so many things with us into a sexual encounter. So 
if there's any worry about the relationship or, or body image or pain within their course, there's so many things that can affect it. And sometimes it's medication. So the SSRIs are probably one of the most well-known. The SNRIs are another one. So those are all those medications for mood disorders. And it's not a guarantee that they'll cause low desire, but it's pretty common. And it can also make orgasm more difficult too. So the good news is that there's lots of different options. So again, at first we address any relationship issues, body image, pain, difficulty with orgasm. And then if it's just straight up desire and that say that SSRI really is the best option because sometimes women can work with a provider to look into other treatment options. But if we are working around it, there are medications for women and desire, which I think is probably one of the biggest surprises that women hear in the office, that there was something available for them. So you have Addy, and sometimes they market it as the little pink pill for women, but it works completely different than Viagra. So it's a little bit of a misnomer, but what it does is it helps desire in the brain. It has these amazing side effects for helping with mood, helping women sleep, and weight loss. So usually quite appealing to women. What's not Did to you love say about that? <laughs> What's not to love about Annie? <laughs> um, so it's a medication that you have to trial for about two or three months to see if, if it's for you. And you don't start taking it and all of a sudden have super high levels of desire. It's gradual, but for some women can be really effective. Bilisi is more so along the lines of a Viagra for women. So it's an on-demand injection. They use it just once or twice a week, starts to work roughly within 45 minutes, lasts for about 16 hours. It helps with desire in the brain, but then it's also those physical symptoms. So better arousal, orgasm, lubrication. There's this feeling of being turned on and I want to act on it. So that's a nice option if someone wants to say schedule date nights or whatnot. So that's a really nice option. We also can use testosterone. It's not FDA approved for women, but it has been studied. It's safe. It's effective. We actually have the most data to back it up in women in menopause. And that helps with desire in the brain. But then again, those physical symptoms too. That when women start to notice a difference roughly in about four to six weeks or so, and we're monitoring labs, sometimes women tell me, well, I don't want to grow a beard. And of course, they say, I don't want you to either. <laughs> so we're monitoring labs, making sure every that they stay within the normal limits for women. We just want to nudge them up a little bit. So we're checking baseline testosterone levels just to just, make sure that for some reason, it's not already elevated. Just and total testosterone. Mm -hmm. And then after she's been on it for about four to six weeks, we recheck it again. And we always want to make sure she's not getting high amounts of testosterone. You can also check to make sure if we're talking to other providers on this, that um, to check a CBC or a blood count to make sure for some reason she doesn't have an increase in red blood cells. But this is a really small amount of testosterone. It, it can be quite effective though. That's That's an awesome recommendation. What about you hear about Viagra being given to offset effects of medications that hurt drive, like the SSRIs. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have much success with that? How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I have not recommended that just because I don't have any good evidence-based research on that for women. I will say that we are wrapping up a study right now at my site, and I've been one of the investigators, one of the sub-investigators on using 
sildenafil or like a, a topical Viagra for women to put in the vaginal area to see if that helps with arousal. So I'm hopeful that we just keep growing the number of options for women who are having some troubles with their sexual health. But it's hard for me to recommend something like Viagra without a lot of evidence. Okay, so let's go to another scenario. Uh, Beth is uh, 67, and uh, boy, have we seen this. She's asking for help with with orgasm. Um, Mm -hmm. Her partner has uh, diabetes and heart disease and has difficulties with erection, which is so common for this demographic. They've had a great history of, you know, sex together, but she has a very difficult time now to come to orgasm. And like you alluded to earlier, it's blunted. And um, she's just very frustrated. Mm -hmm. Walk her through something. And then I'll also add, I'm sure the partner is frustrated too. Well, <laughs> so, he, he wants her to be, you know, like Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So men and women hear the same message that orgasms are supposed to be quick and easy and amazing and all of these sorts of things. I think the other big misnomer is that there's this idea that partners are supposed to bestow an orgasm upon a woman. And that's not necessarily true either. So as women get older, again, just with that loss of estrogen, orgasm can take longer. You might need, again, the vaginal estrogen, one of my favorite things. Also, the vibrators are super helpful. And sometimes women just need a little bit extra there. And orgasm The other misnomer I wanted to say is it doesn't have to be vaginal or in the G-spot. A clitoral orgasm is wonderful. Any orgasm is wonderful. And that's more so what people should be focusing on. This idea of this mutual reaching orgasm at the same time through penetration alone and whatnot is just does a huge disservice to men and women. But for example, with this woman where her partner wants to really help her get there, perhaps she might need to use a vibrator. She might also really need to practice on herself, either with her partner or completely by herself, and figure out what what does it take. And maybe she'll need to teach him, or maybe he can watch while she gets there. But it doesn't have to be her waiting passively for him to figure this out. What a great take home for that. And I, and I think that that is such a great help to people to have that mutual investigation to see. What yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. One, one more. Um, there's Margaret and she's 69 and she has um, she's coming to you because of vaginal irritation. It turns out that she had a met a, part, a partner at a, um, you know, a facility that she's moved into for retirees. They started being sexually active and she became concerned about infections because she started getting symptoms. And she came to you saying, boy, I I didn't think I'd have to worry about something like this at my age. What do you tell? So I get this question a lot. And sometimes women, when they're just re-entering the dating world, for whatever reason, in their 60s, they're like, you know, back in the day, we only worried about condoms when we didn't want to have a pregnancy if we're talking about male partners. And so I think that this is a really important take home message that everyone at every age needs to be aware. So there should be really good communication between partners about safe sex and have you been tested recently? Also using 
not only condoms, if it's a male partner, there's dental dams out there and whatnot, which a lot of the women I've worked with, you know, this is not something that they were familiar with a long time ago. So educating about making those barriers. The other thing I would say is that women should be really careful if that tissue is not as healthy and strong as it used to be, because if she is having some tearing, say with vaginal penetration or any type of vaginal play, she is more at risk for picking up infections. That issue is just not as resilient as it used to be. So again, I'm going to say some really good estrogen, a really nice lubricant is wonderful, but absolutely there is still a risk for infection and everyone needs to be careful. It doesn't matter how old you are. Everyone needs to know that they are safe and their partners being screened and whatnot. There's not a lot of folks I think that are real familiar with the idea of the the dental dam. Would you just briefly go through that? And why would you use something like that? You can think of it just like this plastic piece that goes over wherever you're having some type of sexual play. So let's say you're engaging in oral sex with a partner. You can put that over the person's genitals before you engage in in oral sex. And then that just creates a barrier to protect you from infection. And if the partners are both females or both have vulvas, then this is something else that you can use with any kind of sexual play. So I think a lot of times when we're talking about protecting protecting against STDs, we're only talking about penises and condoms, but there's lots of other things that we should be careful with in, in watching. And dental dams are also things that you could wear if you were going to give someone oral sex too to protect yourself. So these, I completely agree with you. I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of and know that they should be using these things. Well, yeah, and that's, a, I think, a great wake-up call. And especially in light of all the stuff people get in can get in their throat now. Um, right, right. And I, I wanted to ask this, this last thing. You know, all of these scenarios we've talked about are, you know, if you see this demographic, it's all too familiar. But... There's a lot of women that these women came in because of sexual problems, but there's a lot of women that come to you for other reasons. And there's a lot of women in this demographic that may not feel or be too sexually active. Do you still get a sexual history from them? Is there any encouragement that you would give them about their sexual activity? What what do you say? Oh, absolutely. So I see a lot of women for annual exams which I'm always happy to do, but a sexual history should be a part of any annual exam. I am a huge believer, and I know I'm not alone. When we are taking care of patients, we should be looking at their entire self, so their holistic health. So sexual health is just as important as mental health, physical health, spiritual health. All of that is super important. So everyone should be screened with sexual health. Are you sexually active? And if someone says no, then why are you, ha- is that because of circumstances or choice? Is there something I can help you with? Are you having any pain? Are you having a loss of desire that bothers you? Are you able to get to orgasm? And I think just starting that conversation, research has shown repeatedly, women are looking at us as providers to ask, and they want to be asked. And you don't think you can embarrass anyone by asking them. And especially when you say I believe this is part of your overall health. And I just want to make sure that 
you are happy and have a great quality of life. And I, I haven't had anyone who was embarrassed or shocked that I asked that because as providers, this should be normal. You know, you're, you're very knowledgeable, uh, passionate, and uh, just wonderful advice. Do, do you have any parting shots? <laughs> parting shots. Yeah. I would say parting shot. I would say that age doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, you should still be able to have sex, have a great time if you want to, enjoy it as much as your male colleagues. <laughs> if women can have it all. How about that for our parting <laughs> wisdom? <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you again for your time and expertise today and uh, appreciate your, your help so much. Happy to give it.